0: This podcast is offered by Jokoji Zen Center on the web at jokoji.org. Our programs are made possible by donations from people like you. It's kind of exciting to be sitting over here and trying to share something about my meditation practice with you. I one think of, one of the things that, uh, this this last few days, we've been having a, a nature session, a, a retreat here. And we've been doing a lot of sitting. And we've been doing long walks in the forest. And you, you get a sense of how, well, well, I think Coben, who, who founded this temple, was, was that he when the first day that he signed the deed for for this place he said he t- took me aside and he said this place will be good for your practice he said i would like you to start doing teaching about nature here and one of the things i noticed when i was walking in the woods with him he and i liked to take walks together and he really liked Learning about all the animals that are out here in the trees and things, but he was very knowledgeable too. But one of the things that I noticed w- when I was walking with him, and when I was walking on this uh, this nature session this this last few days, is how when you get out into nature itself, the boundaries between people they kind of disappear. You know, and so it's like. It's like, you know, we and all of nature are just perfectly at harmony. Really, there's a kind of a harmony that you get. And I think that was Coben, one of Coben's important legacies to me. But also, you know, like I, you know, the things which I learned from my, the time that I spent with Cohen um, have shaped the, my life. You know, I met him when I was a very young man, and I didn't know anything, although I probably thought I did. but one day he he was con- we were driving along together and and he confided in me that he was very worried what was really on his mind that day was that he didn't have enough time to complete his his uh, mission in America he he, uh, he had a definite thing that he wanted to do in America and and I, and i guess i just felt like i, I should you know write it right away i said to him oh coben you know you, you Your 25-year plan—you've got lots of time—and right away he turned to me, like just—you know—he was like really fierce. He said, "No, you can't think like that." And so here we have it in the sutra on knowing the better way to live alone. Death comes unexpectedly. How can we bargain with it? And when we were walking out in nature yesterday, we were coming back from a hike down School Road into the deep forest over there. And you see that the death and dying are part of living and and being born. All around you you see this. You know, like if you listen, one of the uh, it's kind of like a newspaper that we have here. It's called Stellar's Jays. There are lots and lots of Stellar's Jays. You know, they're pretty blue birds with a tall crest. Very noisy around here all the place. They sometimes get in big flocks, you know, all the all the fledglings are are now able to, to be out on their own flying around no more in the nest. And now and then you hear a very intense, you know, parents being very, very outraged and really, really, really upset. A whole bunch of them. They mob and, and they're very upset. And one day I just, it, it happened, this, this great outburst of anger, and upsetness right in front of me. And I stopped and I just looked. You know, just trying to see, you know, what is it that they're all upset about? Well, it turns out that crows, there was a crow and it had a, gotten a baby jay and was eating it, had it in its beak. Crows are one of the main predators of baby birds around here, of fledglings. And it kind of. Uh, then yesterday we were coming back from our walk, and we found where's Connie? Is she in here? No, I guess she's not. Anyway, we all found kind of independently this baby Stellar's jade that had been partly eaten, was just on the side of the trail down there. And uh, it it makes you. It makes you think about. One of my favorite Buddhist uh, scriptures is called Dhammapada, and this is a collection of the sayings of the Buddha. Nico gave me the copy that I, that I have next to my bed. I, like to, I try and open it up each night and just let it open to some, one, of his, one of his sayings. And Buddha said in many places, but one particular one, he said, we all think we're going to live forever. We are heedless, like a sleeping village gets swept away by a flood. You know, it's just like that it comes very unexpectedly. You know, this is a very, you know, I, I am my practice is very much motivated by the death of my wife almost four years ago now, and it's a very positive thing. You know, it really it spurs me to practice because she and I had been on retreat down in the desert and and. Uh, and our children, who are now grown, are in their 40s now. They 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 felt it was we were too far away from them. So they got us a senior apartment in in Salinas, where we lived for a few months. And uh, then we didn't like it. We wanted to be back in the desert, independent. You know, living in our you know little shed like a cave. And uh, so we went back down there. And, and uh, my cowgirl friend Dee said, "You can live over here. I have this house, and you can live there for free." And so. You know, she and I, my wife stayed inside the uh, motel in Yucca Valley, and uh, you know, she just wanted to be able to relax and watch TV and things like that. And then Dee and I f- finished, you know, fixing up the, this little house that she had, and then Tina and I were going to come back up to Salinas and get our stuff and move back down. So on that last day, I went in to get Tina, and she collapsed. And she always said, I never thought this was going to happen to me, you know, like her older sister, who's 25 years older than she is, you know, is so weak that when I would when we would go over to her house and get her to to take her shopping, you know, that I would have to pick her up in my arms and lift her into the truck you know, I have a high clearance truck and we just don't think it's going to happen to us. This is something you may think it's funny, and it is humorous. The bone, this bone in your shoulder that comes down here, your upper arm bone, is the humorous. And I found this, you know, one of the, I know where there are about 20 Indian burial sites where I know where, creek, where the skeletons are washing out of the creeks or, and being dug up by badgers. But I brought this one here because it was interesting to me. I, it sort of looked like Um, we have a a person who lives here, Craig, who's an acupuncturist. And I I, I said, Craig, is this a humerus? And he looked at it, and he said, yes. And I said, can you see from this bone that the woman who this bone belongs to had osteoporosis? And he said, yeah, it was very obvious. So let let me pass around this bone, and you can just see it. I will, after some time in the next few days, I'll take this bone back over to the place where I I found it and. uh, and rebury it with the other bones there. I was, I was thinking about bringing over a skull, but the skull of this Indian woman was, was the the brain case was all filled with dirt, you know, so it was very heavy and it was a fragile skull, and uh, you know, so I, and it's, 15 miles back in a in a remote area, so I didn't want to carry it. So I took the easy cheesy way and brought out just one bone. <clears throat> so this last few days we've been, you know, at our nature session the The theme that I wanted to follow was something about water. you know I'd been down to the to the San Benito county rodeo last weekend and and uh oh I had great seats right in the front row. It was really nice. some cowboy friends of mine gave me a seat and and I guess what got me started on this idea about water is that. Well, I like to people to talk to people who have lived in the same place for a very long time. So they know all the old stories handed down and they know about you know, all kinds of different things. Like there's a cemetery that I like to go to, Willow Creek Cemetery. It's a it's a little private local cemetery, you know, not marked on maps or anything like that. And but I go in there and, and I see, you know, it's some of my cowboy friends are buried there. And so I was down there, and, and one of my friends said to me, "You know in in the 1950s before they built um, a dam downstream the the salmon used to come up as far as the as the cemetery here, and you know the creek bed is just completely dry at this season you know you'd never guess that there was going to be you know that, that, that salmon this size were, could be making it all the way from the ocean up the Salinas River and all the way around to this place but But then we got to talking about water, and if you go into San Benito county, you find that that All, very many of the creeks have been, are dry, and it's because, and then you see on there, all the farming that's going on around there, you know, because, and they're pumping down there, there are two aquifers, there are two water tables. One is at 64 feet and one's at 128 feet. And so they they drill these, the wells for irrigation down there, and then they pump unlimited. You know, as you drive down 101 through the Salinas Valley, for example, you see acres and acres and acres of, of you know irrigated fields, and you see the water is just coming out of the ground, coming out of the ground, and so the creeks run dry when you overdraft the water. We're here at the headwaters of a Steelhead stream ourselves, and and I am concerned that 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 we're going to pump the, the aquifer dry. But Doug says that you know our well is is a, is not going to do that. So you know, but I'm just you know, water. You take is something that we take for granted, like our life. To me, water is a symbol of our unborn nature, our deepest nature. It's it's water that's that is available to all of us all the time. And when we make a connection with it, our life takes a little bit different direction. You know, we it's kind of like a. If you're a Christian, you might call it you know making a connection with the divine. And and when you make a connection with the divine, or when you make a connection with this deep water that we all have, things go as they should, I guess is the way to say it. You know, we we have all found our way somehow to a temple where we can find out about about life, where we can find out about you know there's a a reliable teaching. The the, you know here is it is the Shakyamuni Buddha's teaching, and you know we can learn about how to live a happy life. You know what things make us not happy, what things make us happy. I think you know that the Buddha mentioned that that you know it's a, that helping others is is our way to taking taking care of others, you know not just thinking of ourselves, not just pumping our well dry, but thinking about you know the fish that are here and the birds and the trees and everything that are dependent upon this. So this this life we've we've made it here. We've made it here to a to a, a temple. And. Well, there's a traditional story in, in Buddhism about <clears throat> the rarity and preciousness of this human life as a free and fortunate human being. And the, the story goes that we're like a turtle that lives in the bottom of the ocean and comes up to the top for air once in a million years. And what is the likelihood of, of, of flighting, a floating life raft, you know? Those life preservers that you throw, that are, you know, they're a circle like a donut, you know, on a string, on a rope, and you can throw it to somebody who's falling in the water and drowning. What's the likelihood that this turtle will come up once in a million years and put its head through that life preserver? Not, not very, not very likely. So, in in Buddhist, um, the Buddhist way of expressing about. Oh. Thank you. of expressing existence is, is one way, is, is in terms of the, of the six realms. You know, the lowest realm includes beings who are entirely dominated by hatred. And the next lowest one is those which are entirely di- dominated by unquenchable desire. And the third level are, is the realm of animals, all the animals. And they are trapped in the present, and they are not free. Now that's the three lower levels, and the three upper levels are the human level, and the fighting spirit level, and the jealous gods level. So, but in the, only human beings are free have a possibility of freedom you know, in the, in, even in the three upper levels. The, 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 the fighting spirits are always fighting, always, 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 always. And so they never find any peace. They're, they're dominated completely by this urge to fight. They fight with everything, they fight with everybody. And the, the, the God realms, the bliss realms, are not suitable for practice because the, the, the beings who live there are so, they have everything. You know, they snap their fingers, they get whatever they want. You know, so there's no reason for them to practice. You know, we here, we are we actually can experience the suffering of our of our existence, which in other realms people, you know, beings don't 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 get this. So we have made our way to the ultimate place. We're we're talking about a place where we can actually be free. We can actually realize our complete freedom. But we come here and there are a lot of distractions. Oh, we want to go out to dinner tonight? Shall we go see a movie? Oh, let's go for a walk in the woods and enjoy the pleasant woods. Oh, there's a beautiful display of pink wildflowers over there. We could go over and make ourselves a nice bouquet and give it to somebody. You could do all of those things. But this is a, is a Han. You know, when we were, when the Han is this wooden thing which you beat with it, with a wooden mallet, and you know, you heard it before you came to meditation just now. And this Han, you know, calls us to to meditation. It, it says, "Awake, awake! Come to meditation. This is the time to do it." Well, before we had, Chikoji. In the in the 70s, we used to have our Sashins down at Hidden Villa Youth Hostel down in Los Altos Hills, and I lived there and I took care of the of the hostel and, and you know so I was kind of had to take care of all the people that came for Sashin then. And one day, this and this was the actual han that we had hanging there that, would, that we would hit and to call us all to meditation. And one day, the han broke; and the lower half fell to the ground. And one of the pe- the person who made this han, you know, he took up the pick up the two pieces and he took them to his house and he put them in his in his firewood pile. And then I was over at his house, and I saw this and I said, "Paul, can I have that?" And he said, "Sure, sure." I was just going to burn it. So I took it back to Coben and I showed it to him, and Coben got out his, his ink and his pen and he wrote the verse of the Han. Maybe we should pass it around so you can just see it. This 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 thing here, the right this this was touched by Coben. This was held by Coben. So you're, you're t- this is kind of a sacred relic in a way. So and and you know people like people who are clairvoyant like like there was a, a Zen teacher who lived here for a while who passed away now, named Jana. And she was very sensitive. She could touch something like this and tell you who the owner was. So this is, you can take this. And uh, the verse of the Han, it says, attention everyone. All the things that that go on in our life today, all the things that we're concerned about, all the things that we like to do, they're all without essence. So, Beware. Wear, alert, awake. Don't be sloppy or lazy. So we're free spirits up here. We've, we've made it to this place, the, the place that all beings want to come to. And what are we going to do with it? I'm, not, I'm I mean, this is. I'm sharing m- my own mind with you, in this respect, because I'm. This is how I practice. You know, I. I try to tell myself that you have. You know, you're an older guy. You know, your wife has passed away. You know, your children are independent and living on their own. You've somehow made it to, to a temple like this, and you live here, and you have a chance to really practice. You know, I have a little bit of social security, so I don't have to go and work I, if I take care of myself. And one one time, for the last few years, I have been um, Coco the gorilla's playmate. And uh, sounds pretty exotic. It's pretty exotic. <laughs> And so I get you know I I, I I showed Coco how to sit. I brought her a zafu and gave it to her. We sat down together, and then she got up off of her, off of her zafu, and she climbed up onto a, a barrel about this high, and then she looked over at me and she took this position and she looked over at me like this. And looking into Coco's eyes is so different from looking into a human being's eyes, maybe ex- except for a, your lover's eyes, or or maybe your teacher's eyes, because. She'd, she'd look into your eyes, and the quality of her mindfulness was intense. I mean, we could look into our, we would look into each other's eyes for an hour at a time, and there would be no blinking, there would be no looking away, there would be no nothing like that. And one of the things that I always did was, you know, Coco liked me to tell stories about my adventures. I, I like to live an adventurous life, and... Uh, so one time I was in Arizona, I, was, I want, went there to this particular place so I could catch some Gila monsters. Do you know Gila monsters? You know, they're a big lizard like this, you know, black and, and pink, and they're poisonous. And they're fierce. Well, I walked around in the evening and I found one of these Gila monsters and I grabbed it. And... Uh, I just held it. It was very interesting to feel the Gila monster because its skin fits, feels, it's, you know, it's leathery, but it's very, you know, you can grab a big, you know, like somebody who has a big roll of fat here like this. You can r- grab a hold of it like this and, you know, or I can grab my clothes like this, you know, on a Gila monster's skin like this. And i always wanted to catch a Gila monster alive. And so when I got back over to the Gorilla Foundation, you know, then I, I, I got this, this lizard and, I, and, I was, and, and it's pink and it's black like a Gila monster, but of course Gila monsters are huge. And so I took this thing, and and after I told Coco the story about catching this Gila monster, I said, Coco, do you want me to show you what what, what Gila monsters do? So she's sitting about much closer than I am to Doug. So I took the Gila monster over, and I said, bite, 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 bite. (laughs) And she laughed and was very happy about having a thing like that. So here comes a Gila monster to bite you. So one of of the things... Ananda was Buddha's longtime companion and attendant. And he was the one who heard more of the Buddha's discourses than anybody else. And he had perfect memory. you could you could you could relate a story to him, and he would remember it, and be able to recite it. And I th- I think in our lineage, and I would like to I I'm, I try to do this myself. And I'm, Coben and I talked a lot about it, because Coben had perfect memory. You know, one one time when I was over at his house, he was his his daughter wanted him to get this particular. Something for TV, you know, so that you can so that she could look at this this particular kind of, I guess it was a soap opera that she wanted to listen to. And Coben was really adamant about, you know, no, Yoshiko, I don't want you to have this this thing. And and then he said to me and her at the same time, you know that I will remember every single word of that's being spoken on that soap opera, on the TV, and it will drive me nuts. So perfect memory. So I said, "Koben, how do you how do you get perfect memory?" He said, "Always tell the truth." Isn't that an interesting thing to say? I think so. Cuz I have a lousy memory, and I think pretty much all the time I tell the truth. <laughs> so I don't know. But but one time, but Ananda was very well respected by all of the other monks in the sangha for his great memory and for the way that he took such good care of Buddha. And other people also, and one day Buddha and Ananda were out for a walk. This this is a, this thing I'll read to you is from the the Sutta, which is a, a which contains basically this this thing. It's called it's you might you might call it the first principle. So here's the story. Buddha stopped. Well, okay, let me let me do some do it a different way. We say. That when you are reading the, the Buddhist scriptures and, you see, and Buddha is say, talking to Ananda or is talking to Nico or is talking to Doug or talking to you, he said you should, you should put your name in place of the person that the Buddha is speaking to. So if it says if, if, the, if the sutra says, "Buddha stopped, looked at Ananda, and said, you should say, "So I, here's, so you should say, "Do it like this." Buddha stopped, looked at Eric, and said, "Eric." Everyone commends you for studying well and possessing a phenomenal connection with nature, but don't think that is enough. And then Buddha continues, It is important to love the Tathagata, that's another name for the Buddha, and the members of the Sangha, that's all of us. But that is not enough either. I mean, we're, we're coming down to the, you know, this is, the, this is a condensation of all the Buddha's teachings here. You know, he's, he's, he's taken out all these other things and he said there's just one thing Buddha said, whatever time you have left, devote your efforts to breaking through birth and death. Learn to look at birth and death as mere illusions, like the stars one sees in one's eyes after rubbing them hard. So, Buddha is saying, I think that this this is the most important thing of his teaching. You know, he's his, it's echoing the Han here. Don't waste time. Death comes unexpectedly. Like that little blue jay that we found over there that had been killed and partly eaten by a crow. I think that's one of the things that that I love about nature is that you can't get too arrogant about about nature when you're out there because you know it's all you. You go out into nature, but you don't bring a, a, a phone or you don't bring any equipment or anything like that. You go out there and you're just naked with nature. You know, there's no boundary between you. And then you see that death is actually all around you. And it's not a bad thing. It's a, you know, it's a, it's a way to live that's kind of, you know, you live on the edge. You know, you, you live as if today is gonna to be the last day. It's not, and you, you know, so you don't wanna go around having a bucket list. I, and toward the end of my mom's life, she said to me, she had, she had just done something that was on her bucket list, and she was really pleased about it. I don't remember what it was. But, and I said, "Mom, you know what about just living and being here with, with what's going on right here right now?" And I suppose that if I had had more time with her and, and been able to, to talk with her about that, for some reason or another, she just wasn't interested in meditation. You know, she would talk to me about Buddhism. You know, she asked me questions about Buddhism, and she would read Buddhist texts. And, and, well, more she read more books about Buddhism than than actual texts, and she was interested in it. But she didn't take it beyond just being interested. I guess I guess in the family where I grew up, they were kind of a, you know my my parents were university people, and so they were very. You know, you tell them something and they would say, Oh, that's very interesting. You tell her something else and, Oh, that's very interesting. You know, and so I I feel like in in my Buddhist practice that I have to kind of set aside saying something that is so weak and ineffectual as just, it's interesting, but take it a step deeper, you know, to go, I love nature. I love being out in nature. I love knowing the names of all these animals and plants that are found around here. But if we go out to nature together, I'm not just gonna give you a bunch of information about, about nature. I mean, there's some, you wanna have a connection, you wanna be able to look out the window and say, oh, there's an oak tree over there. Oh, there's a bay tree over there. There's an alder tree over there. It's nice to know those kinds of things, but when it's, but there's something that's more, there's more meat to it than that. You know, there was a time when I, when I taught at, a, at Rolling Hills Middle School in, uh, in Saratoga, in Campbell, and all of my students, you know, they all came. To, I, I had a class, you know, innovative class that that I made up that the Board of Education just funded separately, and it was, and it was about nature and art. So I could I could show them about Indian rock paintings, pictures of Indian rock paintings. I could take them someplace. We got permission from the Santa Clara Valley Water District to make our own rock paintings inside this tunnel, the cement tunnel that went underneath one of those streets over there. So we went down there with our brushes and we painted all sorts of interesting pictures. It was really fun. It's really just graffiti, but it's really fun. And But these students, they would all come to class with their... Um, tablets and you know those kinds of things, and they would record what I was saying, and they would record. They would just be looking at it. They'd play games on it. They'd talk to one another. You know, one person across the room would get a, you know, would send a message to somebody else across the room like that. But then I would bring out the snakes. Tablets disappeared. I mean, you know, all the, all of my students, they knew all the things about. They knew the names of everything, and they knew all that about the habits of all the different kinds of animals and things. But they hadn't actually held these things, you know. So I'm not—I I didn't bring a rattlesnake today. <laughs> well, sometimes I do. One recently, I brought a rattlesn- I caught a rattlesnake out here by our woodpile, and uh, I put it in a bucket. And overnight, it gave birth to. How many babies was it? Like thirteen or something like that. And tiny, little, tiny babies. This one rattlesnake was only about this big, and you know, I put it in the bucket overnight. And in the morning, there's a whole bunch of little rattlesnakes inside there, so we all got to see it. But, but I catch lots of snakes around. Jokoji is a very nice place for snakes, and but they bring up some very strange things for me. Would you like to hold a snake? <laughs> one of the things is that that. It seems to me like that when you become a senior student of the Buddha, that you should be able to get over fear. Without any hindrance, no fears exist. That's one of our scriptures. Did you get bitten? No. No. Oh. And uh, so here, here it is. You know, all of our, all of our tablets and things have been turned off now. And now here's our snake. It's really a dangerous kind of snake. This kind of snake, you know, it's, it's called a king snake for a reason, you know. It, it can subdue all other kinds of snakes. You know, that's what it eats, eats other snakes. Doesn't have any poison, but, it's, but it can swallow. A snake this long could swallow a, a rattlesnake. Wow. Not a big rattlesnake, but a little rattlesnake. <laughs> or if you'd like, you know, there, there's, a, there's more than one kind of snake here. Here's a uh, here's two specimens of sharp-tailed snakes. And these are one's an adult and one's a breeding age, but still young adult. And uh, as you can see, they're very dangerous. And uh, one of them's up your sleeve.
1: There's one up my sleeve. (laughs) Really?
0: (laughs) Oh no. Oh, I can't find it. There's a snake loose in his endo. There it is. Ah, oh, got it. Okay. So they'll stay together, maybe? That, maybe yes or maybe no. But Coben was a person who was, who was so, he always was taking you by surprise, you know? like, Like... One, one annual meeting that we had here when Coburn was here and his daughter Yoshiko was here. And Yoshiko loved snakes. And, and, you know, and, her, and her dad was, uh, you know, she said, Daddy, Daddy, come hold this nice snake. And, and she walked over to him and he backed him, no, no. He was quite afraid of snakes and he was quite open about it. And you think that, well, somebody who's a, who's a, a Zen master, you know, you know, who's an enlightened person, that they they would they have fears? I think to myself. I think you know, like as I practice, I try to address my fears, and you know, so that I can come, somehow you know go into them and understand them and, and take care of them. And yet, Hoben, my teacher, he was afraid of snakes. You know, even innocuous little snakes like this sharp-tailed snake. I guess it's just a very deep survival thing with, the, you know, human beings that we're there's some part of us that just, you know, makes us, you know, be very cautious about holding snakes or I don't know, I'm not I'm not afraid of snakes. I could catch lots of rattlesnakes alive, but but I'm kind of afraid of yellow jackets. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yellow jackets the the most dangerous thing we can pass the jar around you can and you can take the snake out if you want to but well up up the road from us here a, a little ways a few miles is the skyline field office for the open space who owns the, all the land surrounding us right here and one time Open Space asked me to design the Daniels Nature Center. They have a, a little the museum that's down by a lake there, like that. So I spent quite a bit of time. You know, you know they gave me an office up there, and, and uh, so I would sit in there. And but they had the, the, the radio, the you know the the where how the rangers talk to one another and to the dispatcher. It's the same radio that the that the sheriff uses up here, and the paramedics, the fire. They all in, but you know, you're sitting there, and I was sitting there, I was working at this on this project in the early fall, and it was just amazing how many Stanford Life Flight helicopters went out to save somebody who'd gotten into a yellow jacket's nest and been stung, 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 and had an allergic reaction to it. So, around here, there's the rattlesnake, the kind of rattlesnake that lives around here. Is a relatively mild poison, you know you know they say that more people are killed by freaking out and driving away in their car and getting in a crash and, and dying like that than if you just don't an untreated bite, so you know if you're bitten by a rattlesnake around here and they they are around here not not very common, but they are here, and you know watch out for them, watch where you put your hands, watch where you step with your bare feet and uh, but watch out for yellow jackets nests. you know i haven 't found it one here at chikoji now normally all the yellow jackets all the nests die out at the end of the at, when the rainy season begins because the skunks dig them up and eat all the yellow jackets when they're kind of you know slowed down by the cold but this year i found one that survived through the winter it was kind of a mild winter here and and a very active nest right now and i've been seeing some yellow jackets that, you know the workers now so the nests are big enough to produce the you know the the species survives as mated queens who hibernate underneath the bark of, tree, of dead trees and in buildings. Oh, I should stop, huh? Okay, but, these, but yellow jackets, anyway, yellow jacket holes, the nests in the ground are the most hazardous thing around here. So when you're walking around, you know, train yourself to, for, to practice flash of yellow meditation. You know, when you see a yellow jacket fly past you like this, Stop look and see where it came from are there others around there and you know how is it behaving is it is it very direct going someplace you know watch out you know last year or a couple of years ago somebody got into a yellow jacket's nest right across the creek over by Coben Shrine and got stung several times and you can't run faster than yellow jackets and if you kill one it emits a, a, a scent which tells all the yellow jackets we're being attacked go get them so you have to kind of be careful about around here about those things anyway Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by Jokoji Zen Center. Our Dharma talks are offered free of charge, and this is made possible by the donations we receive. Your support helps us to continue to offer the Dharma. For more information about Jakoji, please visit us on the web at jokoji.org.